Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast. I am your host of the moment. My name's Parasite Steve, aka Steve of Destruction. Anyway, I'm here with some amazing, amazing authors, some amazing ladies, and uh, I'm going to introduce them one, one, one at a time. But first, I got to introduce my co-host, which is, um, uh, yeah, none of the guys from Retro Redoctopus are here. It's just me. Um, I don't know what to say about that. Everybody's just just left me uh, tonight. They're uh, they're all busy. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm not I'm not gonna cry though. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, so tonight this is the sleigh episode of the brig, and uh, the brig is our series of interviews. And uh, I uh, hope everybody knows that by now. And and uh, all you ladies down there, I know um, you all made it down into the cell. Uh, you know, relatively without injury. I put some extra, some pillows down there, I laid out some blankets. I know it's a, I know it's a cell, but you know, we, we like to try to make our guests, you know, a little bit comfy. So if you guys need anything, you know, just, just, just page me uh, and I'll definitely get you some. How's everybody doing? Silent. Yeah, we're great. We're good. Um, I guess I probably should have uh, explained the brig, but that's just uh, that's just what we. We're what down we do. here in the brig. I, I usually say uh, our guests stumble their stumble their drunken ass down into the brig, but but you guys you guys were very graceful. I have to say, uh, you were <laughs> one all of the nicer graceful. dungeons I've spent time in. See, it shows. It actually shows. Um, and we we uh, replaced the manacles this time uh, with a with a Keurig, so uh, you know just have at it. <laughs> Um, uh, Keurig's not a sponsor of the Retro Doctopus Cephala podcast, um, but I'm just saying. Uh, so here we have uh, five amazing authors from this amazing book, Slay, which is Stories of the Vampire Noir. Uh, this, this really, really cool book that I just happen to be incredibly excited to be a part of. I have a story in this, and it was all put together by uh, an, uh, just, just an amazing gal who I've just recently met and I already love her. And her name is Nicole Givens Kurtz. Nicole, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh, no problem. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. I want to actually do a little bit of a roll call um, with everybody who's in the chat, who's, uh, who's actually on the episode. So we have Nicole. We also have USA Today bestselling author, Jessica Cage. How's it going, Jessica? Hello, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, we also have Kai Leakes. How's it going, Kai? Uh, doing great. How are you? <laughs> doing awesome. Uh, Valjean Jeffers. How's it going, Valjean? Uh, it's going pretty well. Going pretty well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> I've adjusted to, to um, I mean, these are, these are very strange times that we're living in. Oh, so. <laughs> Yeah. That is the understatement of the of the century for sure, um, but we're uh, we're doing what we can to uh, you know keep normal normal a little bit new normal, and uh, maybe the new normal is is black yeah. vampires. I think that would be pretty cool. Yes, um, <laughs> I think that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have Samantha Bryant. How's it going, Samantha? Oh, it's going great because I because I um, need to be here tonight. I got out of doing the dishes. I am happy. Nice. <laughs> well, excuse me. Um, I just realized I'm in here as stone mayonnaise. Who is my daughter? <laughs> I <laughs> see that. Right? You saw this as stone mayonnaise. It's like, no, that is not me. That's her. So I have no idea. <laughs> All right. So who's this stone Penelope mayonnaise Flynn. really? This is Penelope Flynn. <laughs> Penelope Flynn. How's it going? 
That's fine. Thank you. I'm just like, what the? I'm looking for my name. I was like, what? What the? Who is this? So we have six, oh six, count them, marvelous, wonderful author women from this powerful slay anthology. It's freaking awesome. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to go off the tracks tonight or not, but hey, we're going to have some fun. So um, I think what, uh, what I'll do for the format um, is I'm going to ask some questions and then we're going to start with Nicole, who's the editor. Uh, she doesn't have a story in the, in the book, but we, uh, we're going to start with her and then I'm going to go down the list with um, the rest of you guys and you guys can all, uh, you'll get a couple questions, a couple quick questions, and then you can go right into the, the best part of this episode is going to be the readings. So we're actually going to debut some excerpts from uh, five or six stories from from Slay, and we will see how we go, and we'll see if this ends up being a four-hour episode or not. I mean, who knows? So let's get started. We'll uh, starting with Nicole. Nicole, hi. Hi. How are you? I, I just I just like I'm saying good. how's it going every time. How's it going? <laughs> um, so please, please do tell us a little bit about your writing and uh, what sort of genres interest you the most. So I am most interested in mysteries. Um, I write two series that are like science fiction and fantasy mystery mashups. My Sybil Lewis series is um, part of my longest running series. It's a cyberpunk slash futuristic noir series set uh, in post-apocalyptic DC with uh, a black female protagonist. I so think Blade Runner, but a black woman in the future and not Japan, but DC. Um, my second uh, mashup is Kill Three Birds, which is a Kingdom of Avis uh, novella. It is a fantasy mystery where you have a hawk uh, apprentice who goes out and investigates uh, supernatural occurrences in the kingdom on the behest of the order. <clears throat> and then I have a a space opera slash a fantasy series called The Miners, Their Knights of Souls, which tend to be kind of uh, suspenseful, um, but they're more like space opera-y um, type of stories. Wow. So you literally are checking off like every spec fiction box there. <laughs> I mean, post-apocalyptic <laughs> is like the only thing I, I don't think you said. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's, like a lot i know <laughs> that's a lot that's really crazy i mean you know it's uh it's really great you know a lot of a lot of you know a lot of authors who have so many books as you i mean you have a lot of books out there you have i mean you have uh four pages of an amazon account for your author page so i mean that's like that's like a lot i've been doing this a little while <laughs> so, all right, so, so when did you start getting into writing when how old were you about Ish, you so, know, you can, you can oh, lie. You yeah, can lie. Can no. <laughs> so um, I started writing, I realized in high school that I've always written, cool, but cool. I realized in high school when I won an essay contest that I could do it and make money. And so <laughs> that was, that was probably the time where I was like, huh, I can make this a career. Um, wow, that's but, pretty cool. Yeah, so yeah, I was in high school when that happened. Um, went to college, got a degree in English, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I've been writing professionally, like with published stuff from somebody else that's not me, um, since 98. Oh, well, that's, that's a while. That, <laughs> that is impressive. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Um, so, so good for you. That's really cool. I mean, like, yeah, you, I'm just, I'm just looking down this list because I am, I, I don't know any of you guys personally, usually people I ha we have on the brig, or somebody, you know, we know personally, or we've, you know, worked with or whatever, but you guys are just all new peeps to me. And I think it's awesome, but like, I'm, I'm still trying to absorb everybody's body of work. And a lot of your bodies of work are just massive. So 
This is really, really cool. But your, your newest is Kill Three Birds, correct? Yes, yes. So, and that's, that's a, a whole new universe for you. You're going to start mm-hmm. there. That's a new number one. Yep. Very, very cool. I love the cover. Maya Presley did the cover. Very cool. So let's bring the conversation around to Slay while we're all here. Now, what was the genesis of this project for you? Why did, why did you choose, of all things, why vampires? I, well, I know that Kai and I, um, and I'm going to give Kai the hat tip credit for this because we were talking, I think, a while ago. She's always lamenting the loss of L.A. Banks, and I'm always joining her in that, the lamenting of a loss of a true talent, and that we haven't... Um, Actually, see, there have been lots of vampire stories written, um, but we were really kind of aching for the style of black vampire that L.A. Banks wrote. Um, and so if you look at the, once you get the copy of Slay, it'll say for L.A. Banks, because I think she inspired a large number of us. Um, she was kind of like on the, she was the first time I had read a black vampire that was not comedic in the sense that a vampire in Brooklyn was, wasn't a superhero in the way that Blade was, that was a woman, you know, a huntress, Mm -hmm. that was a black woman, um, and that was rooted in urban culture. And that, that, that spoke to me as a black woman, that spoke to me as, oh my God, these are things that there are touchstones in my community that I don't see anywhere else. Um, And I hadn't seen really in the way that she had done it, uh, since and that's not saying it's not happening just that I had not come across it right. and I kind of wanted that um and I thought it'd be cool to have what if we just did all vampire stories but not just from the U.S. but from everywhere mm-hmm. where the vampire wasn't based on European um or Dracula or European or origins and so that was uh the genesis of of Slay yeah, I mean that's that's really really cool. You know, I mean even you know you brought up Blade, and I think I think Blade is is a weird case because I don't know how you guys feel about Blade, but you know obviously he comes out of nowhere with a movie, even if you've never heard of the comic book, and everybody loved Blade, right? Like he was super cool, super badass, really awesome character. But those movies, he's still kind of the token black guy. Yep. I mean, the first movie has more. Uh, diverse actors than the mm-hmm. second, but the first one, it's like, okay, yeah, he's the hero and he is the coolest character, but like he's, he's, he's like the, one of the only black guys, the black people, period. So it just... Oh my gosh, you did not say that. Dr. Karen? No, he said after the first one. Yeah, I, the, I thought he said yeah. the first one. No, right. he said after the first one. Okay, oh my um, but, yeah, you're right. After the first one, he became a guest star. Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah. Especially so we were kind by of, the third one. Yeah, and I was, I was going to say that the erasure of her from... Right. That's also, like, I, I think it's really important to note that for Slay in particular, there is a black woman on the cover of that. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that right. we don't have, like, black males. We do have black male vampires in in stories in the slay but one of the things that la banks was really great at was showcasing that that black people aren't a monolith or aren't monolithic and that we were in a diversity and who we are as a people and i kind of was really reaching for that as well um there are a lot of female um led stories there are a lot of female authors and i am excited about that um because again that's one of those areas that 
we don't get a lot of credit in in terms of that's why there's a whole women in horror month because this this speculation or belief that women don't write horror and black women in particular mm-hmm. don't write horror uh well or great or whatever and so uh, slay is a multi uh thematic project mm-hmm. in the sense that it hopes to address uh many different fronts um in terms of black women writers that write horror uh, black vampires that aren't tokens mm-hmm. um, that are stories that are centered in our unique experiences as diverse as they are um, across the globe mm. and so that was kind of its purpose which is just awesome I mean that's that's like absolutely what I am personally interested in always is the diversity of character for gender for racial equality I just love seeing characters that we don't get to see people need characters i'm a firm believer in characters and you're right dr karen 100 percent amazing part of blade one and also blade's mom was in that one too yep that's what was so great about black panther it's like all right you know what this is still going to be accepted by basically everybody everybody loves black panther yep um the fact that everybody in hollywood is so afraid of it for so long is just ridiculous it makes no sense at all to me and you know, these, mm-hmm. the stories in this book, I'm hoping will, I, I really feel honestly, like this book is an important book and I am very excited to be a part of it. And I think it's, I think it just is a really worthwhile endeavor is that diversi- div- diversification of specifically spec fiction. Cause oh, that's yeah. what, I mean, cause oh, I yeah. just love spec fiction Any, anything mm-hmm. spec fiction is great. And the fact that we have so many authors coming out now, just not for slay, but so many in general that are writing these like even fantasy stories and all these different things. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously we just found out, we just lost Charles Saunders, who is the father of soul and sword. And, and like, like, I mean, apparently he passed away like months ago and nobody knew. Right. That was also like a really big kind of, that was one of those things like, oh my gosh, we've just lost like, yet another Titan, right? It's just, it's been a challenging week. <laughs> 2020 has been a challenging year yeah. um, emotionally, especially for African-Americans, right? And, but it's just been hard on everyone in general. Like, But that's the origins of Slay. I did not, I mean, I, I was really excited to do it. I actually had the cover art and Tara Reed, who did the cover art for Slay, um, she and I were bouncing around titles. I'm like, I have no idea what to call this. Um, and it was actually Tara who's like, why don't you just call it Slay? And I was like, oh my gosh, the pun. I love it. Um, and so I added the subheading and then it just kind of went from there. But yeah, it was just kind of, it was actually, and, and, and Kai kind of gets credit for this because she was the one who many times on Facebook is like how much she misses LA Banks. And I was like, me too. And so... <laughs> That's kind of where it kind of originated from. That's really cool. You actually uh, answered my uh, third question as well, which is just amazing. You just went right into it. Um, so that was really cool. I was going to ask, uh, you know, like what was your, your first uh, black vampire you fell in love with, but you, you, you just uh, completely succinctly answered that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very cool. Um, uh, I, I guess, you know, I'll just ask if uh, we all hope this will be a success. And obviously, this is a very personal project for you. Um, and you're concentrated, eyes on the prize right now, just the first book. But if Slay were to get a sequel, um, and I'm sure you know, you've thought about this, would, do you think, and I won't hold you to it, but um, 
would it be more vampires or would you try a different classic monster like black werewolves or something like that? I would probably do another vampire one only because I didn't get as, I feel like I didn't get as many, like I didn't get any from like South America mm. or and I didn't get any from like other places that are in the African diaspora. Like I didn't get any from like, like from the Dominican Republic. Like I would have loved to have gotten more diverse stories, like more from out. I would just make it from out, not like non us um, stories. So I did I- get some, but I didn't get as many as I would have liked. And so okay. I think if I did a second volume, the focus would just be on non United States and non British places specifically. And that would be great too, because you'd have a whole new crop of, of authors, mm-hmm. right? That would be pretty cool. And you really have a nice companion piece. Slay mm-hmm. one, slay two. Oh, it's just, it's just like 60, 60 amazing authors. There you go. Mm-hmm. And Steve and Samson. Um, <laughs> that's a little joke. It's, just, it's a <laughs> dig on myself. You can laugh. It's fine. Seriously, I like your story a lot too. Like I... <sighs> It was so like I was rereading them, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I freaking love this collection. Um, in like Samantha's story, makes me cry, and Kai's story like lingers. Like when I'm done with reading it, it stays. It just this haunting gut-wrenching story it just it just lingers with me after i've after i'm done yeah um and penelope's story is just you know you just want to get up and shout it's so clever (laughs) um and valjean's story is just complete kick-ass and jessica's story is also Mm -hmm. kick-ass like there's two kick-ass stories but they're nothing alike um and so i just (sighs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> just, you just love this freaking book i mean that's i amazing. do and i and i'm just i'm just like going over stories now and like you know like there's just it is i think it's in a, and of course i'm completely biased but i think it's improbable or unlikely for someone to pick up this collection and not find at least six to ten stories that move them touch them linger with them provoke strong emotions um they're just there are 28 different stories. And so there are like very, very different stories. And so I find it hard. I think it's going to be hard for someone to pick up that volume and not find at least three to five stories that they really love Mm -hmm. um, and 10 to 12 that like evoked strong emotion out of them. I would be surprised. You guys do not know how difficult it was to try to narrow it down. Like it just, this is me narrowing it down. So how many, <laughs> how many submissions? Uh, we had like 75 submissions. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. That is and wow. It was really difficult to kind of like pick because there were a lot of, there was, there of course are always those stories that you know right off the bat. You're like, uh, no. Um, and I try to keep it. I, I made a conscious decision not to accept stories that were rooted in slavery um, because I feel like we have a much more rich history than just Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so i i unless it was a really great like if it just took if it took place on a slave ship or if it took like a lot of 
if it was just rooted in slavery and master and trying to like get back at uh, revenge stories, I just didn't take those. There are other places that deal with that. And there are, again, like I said, there was more to being a, a person from the African diaspora than just slavery. So yeah, um, I just made a conscious decision not to accept those. I didn't have very many though, which is great too. Um, but just trying to make sure that the stories that I did pick were stories that I thought were diverse and different enough that you don't usually find them everywhere. Um, mm. We were looking for that diversity aspect and that's kind of where I was going. And it's great too, because with so many stories, it's, I mean, you could, I don't know how people, um, how everybody enjoys anthologies. I mean, I don't sit down and read them cover to cover necessarily. A lot of times I will pick it up um, here and there and kind of skip around and um, just kind of go with whatever my mood is to what, whatever the title, if I don't know anything about the author. So I could, I oftentimes will be reading one anthology for a decent amount of time um, in between other books yeah. and just yeah. as the mood, because that's how I, that's what I love about short stories. I, I, the fact that you can spend an hour and you get an entire, you know, an entire story right there and you don't have to, continue on later maybe you just felt like that right then and for for there to be so many stories i mean i feel like people could literally be reading slay for a couple years depending on you know how much they uh how much they devour short story collections Mm -hmm. depending on like how you enjoy it like how do you eat your reese's there's no wrong way (laughs) right but no, also, I, uh, that's what I would movies. do if I was going to do a second volume. It would definitely be focused on um, non-U.S. Uh, locales. That's and I, I mean, I love the idea of different authors too. That's that's pretty awesome. Like you were specifically not not only do you want the settings to be there, but you want the authors to be from to have different experiences from mm-hmm. different parts of the world. That's really really cool. Um, all right, so I think if you don't mind, we will move on to our first reader. Oh sure. Um, but before we do, I'm going to ask you the silly question, um, if you're ready. Yeah. Uh, your preferred flavor of vampire, and everybody gets this, uh, <laughs> preferred flavor of vampire, deadly or dateable? Oh, God, deadly. <laughs> I already have a husband. I don't need a date. I don't <laughs> want to date you. I don't want you to like, okay, here's some really interesting flavored blood. No, I just want to stake you and be done. Gotcha. I'm good. Kill it with fire. Got it. very cool all right jessica jessica cage hello how are you i am i'm good i'm a little bit um weird in the mouth right now i got new uh aligners for my teeth so i have to really focus on my words (laughs) as they come out my mouth (laughs) so i'll take it as you're maybe a little loopy because of maybe mouth stuff and not that you don't think that i'm charming is that, oh. is that is that fair? <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna take it. It can be that can not be charming. True. No, you're just very don't. <laughs> and if if I'm not charming, just please don't tell me. Just please okay. don't, let me let me have this, okay? So okay. Jessica, tell us a little bit about your incredible body of work. Another, just like Nicole, my goodness, I'm I'm seeing all of these books that you have, and I am just feeling so very inadequate. Uh, <laughs> at, <laughs> amongst these uh, this company, my goodness, and I'm dead serious. Uh, Really amazing, amazing amount of books you have. Um, please tell us a little bit about uh, your writing and what sort of genres you enjoy the most. Uh, well, my writing. Uh, so I've been published now for 
uh, going on 10 years, um, and I write in paranormal, urban fantasy, dystopian, uh, post-apocalyptic, that realm, anything supernatural, um, I'm all about it. Um, I started, my first series was actually in Vampires, um, very inspired by, you know, L.A. Banks, of course, who has been mentioned, um, and some others <laughs> that I won't go down the list. Um, but I started writing because of my grandmother, um, who actually recently passed away. Um, she was the first person I was one of those little talkative kids. And she was like, she was a book nerd. She had a wall of books in our house. And she's like, look, nice. write it down, bring it back and I'll read it. <laughs> and that's how I started writing these stories down, which for years, my grandmother was the only one who read anything I wrote unless it was for school. Um, my first published book was actually when I was in second grade. I won the Young Authors um, Award for my school. And I did that a couple years throughout, you know, education or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, and I won it a few times. So that was really the only wow. time people actually read my work outside of my grandmother um, until I published 10 years ago. I was very private about it, but she would push me to do those. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so I wrote that my is, first. I'm that sorry. Is that is that is just the best. I'm sorry too. That that is just you know that kind of that kind of support coming from home, coming from you know family, from someone you you look up to and love so much. I mean, there's there's just there's no substitute for that. That's that's so amazing. Yeah, which is why I was so excited to be a part of this because um, vampires noir just really the whole feel of it reminds me so much of my grandmother, the, the books that she would read and the worlds that she would invite me into. Um, even though my mother thought I was too young to be reading half of the stories she allowed me to read. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, my grandmother got really sick and this just felt like it would bring me back to her. So it was very, this was a therapeutic uh, process for me. Wow. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. That was, that was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that's serious. I, I always sound sarcastic. I'm not, I, I just, it, I'm sorry. It, honestly though, <laughs> oh, no, that no was beautiful. Sarcasm. And thank you for sharing. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but uh, that's, that's really great though. Having that, having that experience and that, you know, you always, you probably always feel like, you know, forever, you no matter what story you write, it's going to be, it's going to be for her. Yeah. On some it's level. always for her. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's just awesome. Um, and I love how you guys got started uh, so early. I'm interested to, to find out about everybody else. I, I got started really late. Um, I never really, it never even occurred to me. Um, so, but I did, uh, I did have like my one, my one cool writing, uh, the, my, my flex is that um, in freshman year, I wrote a poem that uh, the teacher accused me of stealing because it was too good. So I'm just saying. That's always great. <laughs> uh, she was, she was mad. She was legitimately yeah. mad. She's like, there's no way you wrote this. You stole this. Where is this from? And I'm like, I'm like, I, I wrote it. Like, I don't know what to, and, and then she, I was clearly like being, you know, she could tell I wasn't lying. And uh, she, she did turn around pretty quick, but she was mad at first. And then she went to being like, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Just, um, yeah. I had a similar experience in seventh grade. I wrote a piece again for young authors and the teacher came back to me and said, this is too mature to have been written by you. We need you to write something else <laughs> so that they'll have, I guess, so that the judges would make it, you know, 
it would be more believable that a seventh grader wrote it. Oh, good Lord. Um, I was like, uh, okay. And my grandmother was so mad after she found out because I yeah. told her later. She's like, well, why did you rewrite your story? I'm like, because the teacher told me to. <laughs> She's like, no, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, way, way to encourage the next generation yeah. teacher person. Yeah. Um, so, before uh, we get into your, uh, your story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, because, like, let's do the funny first. So, preferred flavor vampire, deadly or dateable? I'm going to say deadly, but I have the idea that deadly is dateable. Like, <laughs> if you're not a little deadly, I don't want to date you anyway. Oh, so. boom. You know, I, I actually, uh, was, I, was, I, knew, I knew we'd get one or two of those tonight. Like, <laughs> um, yes. The answer is yes. So, tell us a little bit about your story, and then feel free to, uh, let's go into your excerpt. Uh, okay, so when I wrote my story, like I said, I wanted it to be uh, a connection to my grandmother, and she really likes the old school, like um, gritty, dark in the streets type of stories. Um, <laughs> really like mystery and, and action combined. So I tried to take um, some of that, uh, like the old 40s and 50s movies, you know, where it's black yeah, and noir. Yeah, try to put that in your head, um, but then mix it with my style of writing, which is, um, it's more of a thematic, <laughs> I don't know how to even uh, describe it right now, but it's just a blend of my grandmother's taste and my writing style to give you um, something that's modern, but still feels, you know, noir. <laughs> oh man, I'm pretty excited. So, oh, so what's it called? It's called Gritty Corners. Okay. Whenever you're ready. All right. Gritty corners, dirty streets, sounds of pain and suffering. Sharp fissures ripped through my shoulder as it fed from me. And when it was done, my body was discarded. Tossed behind the club's dumpster in an alley, this was the hot new place to be. It was where you could find all the cool kids and apparently bloodthirsty monsters. That's the memory I was left with, as every moment of the world's agony echoed inside my head. The pain in my shoulder had stopped, but the throbbing remained. I could still feel that thing, whatever it was, clutching me in its hold. My name is Kyla, and that was how my life as a vampire started. A discarded, unfinished meal of a reckless vampire. A vampire I spent the better part of five years trying to hunt down. It should have been easy. They say you're supposed to be connected to the one who turned you. Unfortunately, the one who had turned me knew that I was out for revenge. I was in the prime of my life. My natural hair care line had just made me my first million dollars. The reason for my friends insisting that I go out that night. Instead of dancing the night away, dripping in melanin and magic, my life, as it were, came to a blood-soaked ending. Are you ready? Milton, my vampire mentor, stood behind me. To look at him, you never know he was hundreds of years older than me. His black suit fit him like a glove, and his short hair was perfect, as usual. Milton found me hours after the attack, dizzy, in pain, and trying to get a cab. I would have killed the driver if it wasn't for him. I've been ready 
for years. I adjusted the collar of my leather jacket. You know this. It's going to hurt, you know. If you kill him, you'll feel his death. You two are connected. Milton gave me the same warning he had a thousand times before. I'll feel it and I'll revel in it. I turned my bloodthirsty eyes on him. It's taken me nearly five years to find this man. And look at him. I pointed to the open window of the condo in the middle of the high rise across from our position where my attacker lay with the limp bodies of four half-naked women. He's still just as reckless as he always was. How many women's lives do you think he has ended? How is it that he acts this way and goes unchecked? <laughs> he is well-connected. You know how this works by now. You've seen countless others just like him. Milton leaned on the edge of the roof as he watched our target. He's probably had a, a cleanup crew on standby right now. Well, let's give him some work to do. My fangs flashed as I grinned and lifted the mic to my lips. Everyone in place, I called out and waited for the response from my team. Diamond, I'm ready for action. Yeah, Myra, eyes on the target. Sass over here, perched in perfection. Well, good luck, ladies. Milton's nodded as he turned to leave. In his position, he couldn't risk getting his hands dirty, but the rest of us had no such qualms. Milton was a high, was high in the vampire society, and his dealings in our little group, if ever found out, would ruin his status. I would never ask him to do that, not after all he'd done for me. Let's do this. I growled, took 10 steps back, and ran like hell. The last footfall pushed me into the air, and my dark skin was bathed in the moonlight as I cut through the air with grace and, of course, a bit of flair. Okay, I had to admit, this part of being a vampire was pretty cool. I landed on the roof of the Target's building and made a mad dash for the service door. I had to be quick. My jump was timed to avoid the roof's camera. Alec, the asshole who was now covered in the blood of his most recent victim, had more enemies than could be counted and was always on alert. I managed to get inside without the camera picking up my movement. And as I shifted my weight to descend the 10 flights of stairs that would take me to his location, I made one miscalculation. The soft close of the door behind me alerted the vampire guards below. That would give me approximately 15 seconds to prepare for battle. I pulled the blades from the sheets at my side and stepped back into the dark corner. I hadn't planned on giving up my position so quickly, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't looking forward to the opportunity to kick some ass. It might be, a good, it might be good to burn off some of the rage before I made it to my target. Three deep breaths, and then I was silent. No moment, no movement, stone like the building around us as they raced up the stairs. What the hell was that? The tallest called from below as the shorter guard checked the door. He stood not two feet from me. I don't know. I swore I heard the door open. Man, I told you to lay off that lace blood. Let's get, to, get back to our post. If Alex notices us missing, he'll be ready to move again. The tall one headed back down the steps. This was my moment. You think he just stopped pissing people off, the short one said as he turned to head back down the steps. 
I reached out and in one quick moment snapped Shorty's neck. I caught his weight before he could hit the ground and pulled him into the corner. It took some finessing, but I had him propped up and I released the breath and tapped the mic three times. This was the cue. The ladies would know I made it inside. We never spoke when in movement. Vampire ears were too sensitive and it would cover our, it would give up our cover. Quickly, I descended the steps. Big and tall would notice his missing buddy soon, so I needed to get up on, get him before he could sound off the alarm, sorry. <laughs> like, like a feather, I raced down the steps. The specialized padding on my shoes, Myra's invention, muffled the noise of my footfall, giving me an added advantage. The irritated guard noticed my presence about one second before the knife removed his head and five seconds before he would have been able to tell the others. Four taps on the mic this time. It was time for them to move into action. I waited for their response before moving. I had to navigate through five additional flights of steps to get down to Alex's level. There was a guard on every one, and the closer I got to him, the tougher the opponent. It wasn't until the fourth guard that I had trouble. An error in judgment cast a shadow that exposed my position. I was able to take the guy out, but not before he alerted the others. By the time I made it to the fifth level, little Miss Sunshine was ready and waiting. The bubbly blonde was no more than five feet tall and wore, a, wore yellow from head to toe. She had eyes wide like the eyes of a lunatic and, cra and a crazed grin to match. Cover blown. I'm moving in. Diamond spoke over the mic. Shit. I cursed under my breath as I dodged a blow from Tiny Powerhouse. Whatever you do, don't let him get away. You're going to die this time, Sunshine threatened and pointed to her jaw with a wink. The last time we faced each other, she got an upper hand, leaving a scar beneath my left eye as a memento. Vampires healed quickly, but it wasn't always without flaw. Okay, so I couldn't tell you what her real name was. I'd faced her a few times before. She was small but strong. After a few encounters with her, I knew that speed was her strongest suit. As long as I didn't, get her, as long as I didn't let her get her hands on me, I could beat her. She reached out for me, the same as always, but this time I was ready. I dodged her intended chokehold and kicked off the opposite wall, using it to bring as much force as I could into the punch. She fell back, but I knew I had to keep the assault going. Hit after hit left my hands and her face bloody. After the last blow, a roundhouse kicked to the side of her face. Her head smacked against the cement step and her eyes rolled back. I opened the door to Alex's floor and walked right into two cards. The fight was swift. I used one leg for leverage while my boot kicked in the jaw of another. I could hear his bone breaking beneath the force. I moved fast before his partner could sink his fang into my arms. Two broken necks later and I was ready to move ahead. The blow to my jaw was completely unexpected. I hit the wall hard enough to leave the impression of my shoulder in it. My senses cleared just in time to dodge the size 11 boot that was aimed for my forehead. This guy was massive, but lucky for me, he wasn't a fighter. I could tell about how unsure he was on his feet. Yeah, he'd been recruited on size alone. Where we at? Sass requested a, rep a report over the mic. Still working on it, I dodged another blow. I have the jolly green giant over here. Two steps to your left, Myra instructed, and I did as she said. 
Not a second later, a bullet cut through the giant skull and he fell to the ground. For safe measures, I finished the job, removing the head from the body. It wouldn't be the first time I witnessed someone take a bullet to the brain and come back swinging. Thanks. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. There it was, the doorway to the now unprotected Alex. This was what I had been waiting for. I approached the door, listening for any evidence of assault from within. No guns cocking, no scraping of knife beneath the being drawn from its holder. When I touched the door, I felt it in my gut. Something wasn't right. The door opened, and as I suspected, all that remained inside was a lifeless pile of bodies and a blood-stained carpet. Is that good? <laughs> that was awesome. Holy, uh, okay, wait, I got, I got a quote for you. Uh, wouldn't be the first time I saw someone take a bullet to the brain and keep on swinging. That's yes. <laughs> I told you it was badass. That is badass. Yeah. That is- <laughs> It's like all action. Yeah, yeah. that is how just action. How soon do I get my copy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely like all like, it's complete. Like you turn me, I hate you. I want to kill you. But the yep. twist, there is a twist at the end um, that I'm not going to share. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. I wanted to stop at a good spot before it got anywhere near that. Cause yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it hard picking out excerpts of short stories? It's like, it's already short. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Right. exactly. Like, I'll just read you these two pages. They make no sense. You won't want to read the rest. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> has to have a beginning and an end. Uh, end in a cliffhanger. So people will want to right. keep going. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank Jessica you. Cage. Very, very cool. Thank you for, for being here. Um, so up next, we have the amazing Kai Leakes from Iowa, later re- relocating to Illinois and St. Louis. <laughs> Missouri, <laughs> as I read from your Amazon bio. How's it going, Kai? It's going well. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying words now. I mean, that's, that's all I'm doing. I try to put them in the, the right order, usually, but it doesn't always happen. But thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, please tell us a little bit about your writing and what sort of genres you're into. I'm a hodgepodge, but no, um, I am, I call myself um, a speculative fiction author. So I write a little bit of everything, almost. I like to stay in fantasy and romance kind of mode, but because I'm so obsessed with vampires and whatnot, you can call me a horror writer as well. <laughs> nice. So I do romance and dark fantasy majority of the time. Looks like you're in a steampunk book as well with a oh, yeah, really Yeah, that's 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 my little that's my extra part of the fantasy, yeah. <laughs> that's it's really, really cool looking book. The City of Cyberfunk anthology came out in 2015. I uh, mm-hmm. love that cover. That's just I'm just going down and that's the one that just hit me. Um, oh, that's fine. That's cool. So what's what's your what's your latest book? My latest book is not anything vampire related right now. Um my latest is my first step into romance. So yeah. <laughs> that, oh, is that uh, love, steamy love romance. trust? Yes, love, love trust, trust and passion. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, 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 my mind. Look, I'm. Mm. <laughs> you know what? It's late. It's been a long 2020. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah. So this says Brothers of Kemet, uh, yes. book one. Yes. So we're starting something. Part two is going to come either 
if I can get my cover, it will be either this fall or sometime in February next year. Very cool. Um, mm-hmm. So since you love vampires, I know you're going to, th- I think I can guess, but I don't want to guess. What's your favorite flavor? Deadly <laughs> or dateable? Well, anybody that read my Sin Eaters devotion book series would already know. <laughs> it's both. <laughs> The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you have, uh, they're scary, but scary and sexy at the same time. Yes. It's, it's just something about that bad boy, bad girl kind of, <laughs> I guess you got to have that mixture in there for everybody that loves vampires. So, yes. Yeah. I'll um, kill you, but. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what's so awesome about vampires. Like, you know, I've always been way into monsters overall any kind of monster um and i'm talking like godzilla like anything like or the universal stuff like any sort of monster is like i don't think i will ever write a book that there isn't monsters like some right right. there has to be a monster or something in there and um but like there's something about vampires where you can do so much more they're very diverse you know there are so many flavors and that's why I like this question. It's silly, but there really are like, you know, those are like the polarizing two ends of it. But you could really write any sort of a book and have a vampire and it would be a vampire story. You, could, you know, whatever it is would be a vampire story. It was a sci-fi story, it's a, but with a vampire, oh, it's a vampire. It's a vampire story. <laughs> right. And it's you just kind of funny, you know. Yeah. They're, I don't know. There's just something about them that, that it, is, it is like kind of special in the... Uh, in the world of monsters, they get to be dateable. Uh, whereas the creatures in the black lagoon, I mean, you just really gotta, you gotta just give them a wide berth. I mean, I know the shape of water tried to change things, but I'm sorry. Okay. Like the fish, the fish need to stay over there. Okay. Fish people got nothing against you personally. I just don't want to, I don't, I don't want to swipe left. That, that's all. I mean, um, you can do something with my folks. <laughs> But the, uh, the creatures, anyway. Um, no, 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 yeah, that one though. No, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to kink shame. I don't like to kink shame. If that's your thing, that's cool. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story that appears in Slay. Oh well, my little river. I call it a river bend story. Um, it is called. Hold on, I have to pull it up. Sorry, because I it's uh, in my head. I wrote it as a possible lead way to a series. But I'm still thinking on it. But my story is the, de- the I want to say the, the, it's Deconjuring Nectar of the Blood. Hmm. That's an interesting title. Yeah. So I was so feeling what, myself a little bit. I wanted to give a happy nod to Spike Lee and <laughs> other things in my Riverbend area. Because I'm from the Midwest, as you read. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I have not really written anything specifically Studying the different rich cultures of St. Louis like that. My signature stories, I was jumping back and forth from St. Louis to Chicago and back and forth. So this one, I really wanted to give a little shout out to where I grew up and where I'm living. Nice. All right. Well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm ready. If you're ready, let's, uh, let's do it. I have to give a nice little warning. Forgive me, you all, because first of all, I'm going to be reading in my St. Louis slang. <laughs> so I am going to be attempting to butcher some Yorba and French because I do not speak either. 
So forgive me. <laughs> you can't do a French accent, like what, whatever, like just uh, do it any, any way you want. It, it's your story. You know, you can read it any way you'd like. Uh, it's, it's up to you. Right. And this is dedicated to my friend, my readers that really wanted me to do a classic vampire. But, you know, I have to add my little supernatural touch in there. So here we go. A surging force ripped through her chambers, awakening her with a sharp electric start. It traveled through her body, leaving a warm, sweet imprint against her lips. Habit made her flick her tongue over the surface, tasting a lingering, robust, and vibrant burgundy essence. The instant her fingers flexed, her dark nails, once extended in length, returned to the mid-length of a person used to working with their hands. The tight restraint of soot bundled around her fell to her sides. They were a reminder of her curse and the weight and restraint of the many bodies that had toppled upon her, causing her dark rebirth. A spark in her head told her who she was. Her name was Isoki. She sat up and pushed her thick braids back. In the distance, a click and scratchy whirring of a record began. Smooth crooning vocals wove with the rhythm and flow of jazz and ragtime music. Lulled sweetness flowed in the air. A click and loud shift let her know she could rise from her hidden rest away in a compartment wall. Her open eyes, uh, she opened her eyes to glance around her room, then rose from her slumber. Her awareness was limited to her sense of sound and smell. Her mind was still locked the dream memories of her ancient life. I can still smell and taste the sea, Asoki thought to herself. It conflicted with the sweetness in the room. Her heart began an erratic dance in her chest. Her hands shook. Her stomach wretched in pain at the sensory memory and fear bristled up her spine as her rising fury at the trauma made her scream. The putrid sense of soiled body, sweat and vomit haunted her. The memory with the ungodly heat of being chained against multiple bodies still frightened and grounded her. This was always the way with her awakenings. The pull to the sweetness in the air made her smile at the realization that she had been summoned. He was close by stalking, as was his way. Only he could wake her prematurely like this, or her own will. As she was used to, the warmth of candlelight gave her an embracing welcome. She looked to the candles, but she was startled. This wasn't the light of dimming flames. No, it was electricity. The first time she had seen such wonder was in 1887 in New York City. Only a few wealthy people were privileged to its astonishing use. Now it seemed her home was equipped with it. Her love must have been at his scientific crafts or was wealthy. Catching her attention, she heard a familiar deep and sultry drawl with the lilt of her native tongue speak out to her. Me is okay. I wanted to wake you in case I had to leave. There's rumors that we may enter the big war soon. Therefore, I want to do our ritual one last time to prepare. It was her mate, and it was her sweet. It was his sweetness that woke her. He was unlocked. He had unlocked her hideaway wall. He had opened her cubby. He had undone her bindings. Now, why was his name hiding from her? She shook her clotted mind. 
She'd always known him, but this was the way of her awakening. Hissing, she sharply turned when she heard his heavy footsteps around her chamber. Everything was too loud or too soft. His low timbre became louder as her sense continued to sharpen. It has been 19 years since we last seen each other. Found, she interrupted in a slight stutter. It was always difficult to awaken. She she tried to conjure his name, but couldn't, but it wouldn't come. Take your time, he gently suggested. Her love's deep chuckle made her shift her attention his way to watch him through glassy-filmed eyes. She couldn't see his face, just his aura, mauve, glowing silhouettes, a condition only their kind could see. Since she trusted him, she didn't lash at him with her nails when he appeared by her side. No, instead, she her hand caressed the sharp, the hard sharp, the hard shape of his jaw, while the pad of her thumb stroked his mahogany skin, a comforting voyage for her hazy mind. He smelled of sweet grass, pipe, tobacco, and apples. She studied his face. She studied the face of her lover's rugged beauty, regal but rough, and abrasive like a warrior, but captivating deep brown eyes. His lush lips held back his usual decadent smile. His hair was in a low crop with kinky waves. The rise pattern bumps of scarification in the line from the corner of his right eye reminded her of their shared link in creation of what they were. Only she and others of their kind could see his mark. Her matching signal was against her hip and stomach. Sigil. Nana Baluku. She had missed him. She was also starving. A warm glass was pressed to her lips as he said, Here, drink pondi niktaja. I bring you new fruits and fresh sangri de maison de bleu fleur de lis. Just mixed how you like, where you won't have to take the long rest. Her hunger's intensity made her hiss and her fangs drop. Their last meeting had been in 1805. He had saved her from a group of bounty hunter priests wearing a blue blur signal, appointed by a foreign vampire knight of her kind who wanted their unique abilities, day walking and magic. They had learned only part of the secret to, to brutally capturing her and her lover, binding their bodies with appointed, with anointed ropes, so they thought, and casting them in secret in a secret grave to never be found. Her long braids spilled over her shoulder as she leaned away from the glass to look at him a bit longer, but her love shook his head. Dearer, he's okay. You know our way, Onkanami, he gently ordered. Ordered her to drink with an adornment of my love. He traced the pad of his thumb under her jaw to tilt up her chin. She still appeared 23 and her love 24. Golden hypnotizing eyes locked on her. He gave a little nod towards the glass he held for her and repeated, drink. She followed his command to stop her protest. She followed his command to stop her protest and drink as was their ritual. She always did this, always wanted to see him be first, but as was their way with whoever was awakened first, she took a quick sip and drank deep. 
Her hands shook and the glass slipped to the floor. She tried his name again, but it wouldn't come. She looked up at him. His eyes glowed the same deep mauve as his are. Her night vision cleared. Her love stood before her in suspenders and black pants, an undone white shirt and boots. Without thought, she rushed him. It was a beat of their synced heartbeats that made her soar to him. She pressed her lips against his waiting neck as her hand found his desire. When they fell to the floor, the moment his, her tongue tasted his flesh, the burst of cinnamon filled her mouth as her incisors dug into his heart vein. Isoki felt a mighty grip of her lover's hand on her rear. The touch of his fingers parted her lush thighs followed, but it was his sultry stroke that made her blossom in response. His rich blood filled her mouth and ran down her throat. Molasses. The long overdue reunion made her awakening divine. She hooked her leg over his narrow waist to feel the weight of his body pressed against her, gifting her with the girth of his shaft. You're a soul you. Ah, deceit nectar, she moaned in his mind while he felt him, as she felt him inch his fangs into her neck and felt him sensually stake his claim of her body and blood. I can stop there. I can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. That, that, uh, that was, it was, it's pretty steamy right there. <laughs> we, we got, we got like a very different, like you, we went right, right to sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice little action picks up after that little sultry steaming part but you know, oh, you know what, that, goes I, think, I think we got to leave the audience with a little bit to uh to look forward to yeah uh, <laughs> thank you all the good stuff that was uh that was great thank you so much kai that was really great you're welcome thank you um and obviously people are still unmuting but uh what what, what did everybody think of that nicole valjean stone mayonnaise Beautiful. Stone mayonnaise. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Stone mayonnaise. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, how did you decide on using Yoruba? Because, um, well, the Slay anthology, she wanted something. Nicole wanted something from Africa. Well, I was like, I was, when I originally wrote the story, it was going to be over in Africa. But then I was like, nah. Let me try to do a little bit of both. So then I decided, okay, fine. I'm going to center them. Originally, you would have had the beginnings of where they originally came from, but I had to cut it down. So you originally would have saw them in um, where they're from. They're from the um, West Africa. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, I, want, I keep wanting to say Ghana, and I don't know why that stuck in my head. That's from something else. But anyway, <laughs> they're from the Benin Kingdom. So... I was researching the Benin Kingdom for like vampire stuff because Nicole wanted African vampires. So I said, why not see what they have over there? And then I found them, what they are, which you will eventually find out as you keep reading. Nice. Um, So, yeah. Isn't isn't that the best when like research totally dictates what happens in the story and you're like, Mm -hmm. you never planned for that. (laughs) You had a seed of an idea and you're like, okay, I want to do something like this. I'll learn more about that. And then that just, the, that research just changes everything. You're like, this is, this is so much more interesting than what I had in mind. I love this. (laughs) That is my favorite thing. Up next, we have, we have Miss Valjean Jeffers. I'm very, very happy is with us right now because 
you've been having some problems tonight <laughs> connecting, I think. So tell me, Valjean, you, who you said uh, you, you were named after Jean Valjean, which is mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. awesome. Very cool to be named after a, you know, any sort of a fictional character as important as a main dude from Lame is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How could I miss? How could I skip being a writer with that name, right? Oh my I, I, My parents were English teachers. Oh and really? So, um, yeah. So they they picked out that name. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful name. Yeah. Um, Thank so, you. Yes. So so I see you are a writer of uh, nine books. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Nine books. Mm-hmm, Pretty cool. That's tell, correct. Yeah. Tell uh, tell us a little bit about your your work and what sort of genres you like to write in. Okay, I'm like Kay. I just kind of I'm a speculative fiction writer, so I just dabble in a little of everything, and I like to mix. I like to mix genres, like you mix, like you mix medium in paintings. Um, I started out with my Mortal series, which is uh, fantasy and Afrofuturism. Um, there's some. Uh, there's uh, werewolves, time travel, um, uh, demons. It's set in an alternate universe, tundra. And I started out with that. And then um, I'll make this story really quick. Uh, some local Salson stuck me in, which, which was an honor. I was really glad. She put me in uh, 100 Black Women in Horror because my wow. readers had, had stated mm-hmm, that it was that Immortal had, had like heavy elements of horror, which I didn't even, as the writer, I didn't even know. So then I decided to go over to horror and really scare people. Because that's what horror writers do. So <laughs> that is that is the best. Um, it's it's really amazing how uh, one you know any sort of artwork at all, how the myriad of emotions and uh, just w- how it can make people feel. And you know you mm-hmm. can you can think mm-hmm. like something exactly. like oh I think that's a comedy. What what you mm-hmm. find this funny? Like that's that's not supposed to be funny. Like oh I think it's hilarious. Uh, but they they thought that so so you were writing. What did you think Immortal was? If it wasn't horror, what 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 did you think? Um, you I I was just thinking like fantasy, Afrofuturism. It's not technically it can't be classified as science fiction. Um, but now I would have called it science fiction, but but science fiction people were like, no, you, know, <laughs> you don't have enough scientific elements in there and you're like what you put it in science fiction i wrote a science fiction you take it okay hi sorry to break in i'm sorry oh that's okay we got we got valjean back she's on the phone now quality is a little bit different but the quality of the woman is just as amazing so (laughs) thank you We're very happy to have. Yeah, I knew that thing was going to kick me out again. I, I, I'm like, watch this. I'm, I'm going to get kicked. And this doesn't happen when I do a Zoom meeting one on one. But for some reason, when there was more than one person, it just does that. It just acts crazy. So yeah, that's okay. It is not your fault at all, and and it's no problem at all. Um, but we're glad you're back. Um, so before we get into your story, uh, can you can you answer the uh, the question of the night? Preferred flavor of vampire: dateable or deadly? Do I have to pick one? Well, well two, two authors have said yes. The answer is yes. Uh, yeah. I always kind of wanted to be a vampire. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to be the sexy kind then because nobody wants to be the yeah. monster kind. No, uh-uh. 
Yeah, I just, uh, as, as a matter of fact, I dreamed recently, um, several months ago, that I was being turned into a vampire, and then I got pissed off because I woke up before. I was like, dang, I, I woke up before I got to do all the fun stuff, right? So, God damn it, I'm just me. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, gone it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. the, the vampires, I'm going to answer the, the question. Uh, I would, I would definitely choose, um, deadly. I, my vampires are all very monstrous. I, uh, I try oh, to, okay. uh, yeah. Okay. So, so that's just my, my, my personal preference. Not that there's anything okay, wrong with the dateable yeah. variety, <laughs> but mine are just, are just not, they're just objectively. Okay. Not okay. 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 Just okay. Do not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But good stuff. So please tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about your story for Slay. Okay. Um, my story is uh, entitled Beautiful Monsters. Um, it's kind of, uh, well, my, my heroine, well, she is a heroine, but she's a, because she's a vampire, she's, I guess she would be a little bit of an antihero because she does drink blood. Love it. But she is uh, fighting um to she's fighting oppression let me put it like that so she's there's a little bit of hair heroin and then a little bit of monster mixed up in there um and then there's some other elements that i won't reveal yet uh penelope and i um we were on we did a podcast recently it was penelope's podcast and i was talking to her about it and i said one of the things that really bugs me about um you know, you have human monsters. I'm, I'm talking about reality now. Human monsters that walk among us, Ooh, and yeah. they look so nice and so normal, but they're really diseased on the inside. So that I, I think that was kind of the inspiration for my story, that you can be beautiful on the outside but be really diseased and, and horrible on the inside, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've seen Fox News. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. I assume everybody else is laughing, but they're all muted. I assume that that joke. Oh, okay. Really I'm just I'm just gonna assume that. Yeah. But let's let's continue. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. You know, um, until recently, and they still kind of do this. If you watch movies, the the villain or the villainess was always like really quote unquote um, unattractive. Mm. And I said, you know, that's not really, that's not the way it is. You know, I think you should have beautiful, uh, 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 beautiful um, demons and, um, you know, uh, uh, villains, because that's the way, it, you know, that kind of art imitates life. So, mm. yeah. Oh, man, you are, you are speaking my language. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I'm glad, Steve. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. That actually reminds me, I, I, I just uh, recently started watching the show the boys on uh on amazon mm-hmm. and uh okay basically it's it's all like superheroes but they're not nice people and uh the mm-hmm. main mm-hmm. villain is uh seemingly the uh the superman of it all okay he's this uh okay. handsome okay. blonde dude and he's like this captain america type but oh my mm-hmm. god he's a horrible he, person huh he is something else <laughs> okay okay Um, yeah very uh and the heroes are very down and dirty which is very fun but that that is uh everything you just said is uh everything i tried to do with my books um really really okay absolutely um i'm all for uh beautiful sexy 
main characters, that's all fine and good. But um, I also like people who are characters who are flawed and I like heroes who are flawed mm-hmm. and I like, uh, you know, ones that, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what they look like. It doesn't, they don't necessarily. Can, you know, there's be. no such thing. Um, I'm going to pick out a show that I started watching and then it irritated me because the hero was so perfect. Yep. What is the name of that show? I was think of it popped in my mind. Smallville. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that show got on my last nerve. I'm oh, like, look, no one is yeah. that. Nobody is that perfect. Okay, you are boring, and and I just, yeah. oh, I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. People are flawed, and yes. if you're going to create a character, any character, whether it be a um, a villain or you know, or hero or heroine, they should have some 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 flaws because yeah. that's the way people are. You yes. know, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's why I was. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a fan of comic books, I don't know if um, you know anybody here was, but I, uh, well, I think I, Kai, I think Kai was a big fan. Are, are you? Were you a reader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I loved comic books. Before. So mm-hmm. just just keeping it simple, just keeping it simple to like uh, archetypal. But let's say Captain America versus Iron Man. I was always mm-hmm. much more drawn to the Tony Starks because okay. he, he was a jerk sometimes and he was super flawed he you know was ran through mm-hmm. alcoholism and and different things mm-hmm. over the years and everything and he just mm-hmm. wasn't always a great guy but he always tried so it's not like he was a bad guy right. either but captain right, america right. to me was like Ugh. i don't i mean i love him now because i never liked captain america i don't think i ever read a captain america comic book because yeah. that was another i like him because of chris evans got on basically. my nerves yeah <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I can't not love Chris Evans. He, he's, he's also, uh, he's from my area. He's from a couple towns over from me. Uh, so he's, oh, okay. a, he's a local, local mm-hmm. boy, which is just awesome. But uh, before him, I never cared at all for that character for that exact reason. He's boring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My um, latest novel, which will make book 10, um, Mona Live Long. This is my steampunk horror series. Um, Mona Livelong, a paranormal detective, the case of the vanishing child. And this is what happens when you write and how your characters kind of take, take on a life of their own. Or I call them, I always call them spirits that walk across the page. I have a villain who became not quite a hero, but he became very vulnerable and likable in the mm. book. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. I love Surprised that. me. I think I yeah. think I'm uh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be a big fan of the story. I'm really excited to hear it. Let's uh let's get into your Thank reading. You. What uh, yeah, so what okay. what is the name of your story? And if you want to tell us a little beautiful about beautiful monsters. Uh, oh yes, beautiful monsters. That's right. We got kind of sidetracked monsters. there. I'm sorry. So uh, okay, whenever, okay. Whenever yeah. you're ready. <laughs> okay, okay. I I read the I read the beginning the other night with Penelope, so I'm gonna start a little little further down. In okay. The story. Okay. Okay. Sanyu was dreaming of Africa. 300 years ago, she was 20, standing in the moonlight before the conical homes of her village. Someone was calling her. His voice was a whisper, his breath caressing her neck. Danger. There is danger here. Suddenly, he appeared, a stranger with glowing black skin, his blue eyes hypnotizing her, holding her captive. He extended his hand. She took it, and her fear was silenced by his cold touch. He pulled her close, drinking from her, then opened a vein in his wrist and pushed it to her lips. Sonya drank eagerly and knew no more. 
The next morning, her parents found her lying in, her, in the doorway, her body nearly drained of blood. They knew, Mama and Baba knew, looking at the puncture wounds on her neck, that she had been visited by the Melvi Wadama, the vampire, the blood drinker who had been preying upon their village, and they knew what she would become. So they hid her, hid her sickness from the elders. Sanyu opened her eyes in the darkness. Mama and Baba had been dead for centuries, but she still missed them, especially in times of turmoil. She reached over and pulled the long velvet cord beside her bed, and the curtain slid back to reveal the darkness. Sunlight would cause fatal burns if she was exposed to it for too long without protection. And in the way of the vampire, it was her nature to sleep during the day and walk the shadows at night. Sonya rose, sauntered to her closet, and pulled out a blouse, corset, and trousers. She dressed and pulled a short sword from inside her closet and clipped it to her waist. Revolvers and other firearms were illegal in passion. So said the sheriff's law, though knives and other weapons were permitted, as long as they weren't silver. Silver was the only thing that could cure the eye that could kill the, the Azir. She walked over to a coal box and opened the window door. Inside were jars of water and milk, wrapped bundles of food, and bottles of what looked like wine. They were actually bottles of pig's blood, supplied by a sympathetic butcher who knew her secret. To the right of her coal box in the top cabinet, higher than any human could reach without a ladder, and there was a ladder nearby in case anyone asked, was another corked bottle of blood left overnight to warm. I could never stomach the cold stuff. Sanyu morphed upward, moving faster than the human eye could follow it, and hovered in mere air. She pulled the bottle from the cabinet and, and touched down. Uncorking the bottle, she lifted it to her lips and drank deeply, draining the bottle in moments. It was warm, sumptuous, exquisite, feeling the chasm of hunger left over from the previous morning. But nothing, nothing could match the thrill of the hunt, the terror in the victim's eyes replaced by willing submission, the first touch of lips on a warm neck, the crust of skin broken through like wet earth with her sharp fangs, and finally the guise of warm blood, human blood rushing past her lips, her tongue and down her throat. Nothing could replace it, any of it, because she fed on pig's blood, she was always hungry, but it stopped her from attacking a hapless stranger on the street. Sanyu dropped the empty bottle into the waistband. Waistband. Go back up. Walked to the door and took a hooded jacket from the peg beside it. She slipped it on and stepped out into the night. Sanyu walked down the narrow streets of passion past the tall, slender buildings. A light snow had begun to fall. She came abreast of a bookstore, tombs and tales, and stopped for a moment to gaze longingly at the barred windows. To buy a book, she would have to cover every inch of her skin and try to wake a little earlier in the day. She reached cold, foamy suds. Shoot. The pub where she worked as a bartender and pulled up short. Two burly men, one red-haired, one with a black shaka pair were roughing up Timothy, a young fae with burnt umber skin. One of the men had him by the collar and had lifted him so high his toes were brushing the ground. The other one was tormenting Timothy by pulling the fae's green hair and pointed ears. Timothy was a few months shy of his 18th birthday and hadn't reached full magical strength yet, 
or he could have blasted his tormentors into dust. A crowd had gathered, some shouting at them to leave Timothy B., others yelling, kill the freak. Philip, the owner, ran outside. Hey, now, leave the kid alone. Mind your own friggin' business, the redhead man growled, or we'll give you a taste. Timothy turned his light brown eyes to Sanyu, wordlessly begging for help. Damn it, walk away, just walk away. But if she did, Timothy's eyes would haunt her for a century. Sanyu pulled her jacket back to reveal her short sword. Leave him alone, she said. The red-haired man looked over at her and barked laughter. You think you can take us with that pig sticker? She stepped in close and laid her hand on the red-haired man's wrist. If I can just get him to look into my eyes, this will be over. Please let him go, she said softly, her voice oozing sensuality. He's not, he's not evil. He's just different. His backhand slap caught her by surprise. It was lightning fast and vicious, drawing blood. She barely felt it, but Sanyu bro broke back in, but Sanyu fell back into a crouch to fool the crowd. Then the thirst kicked in. Don't! It was too late. The violence, the blood, the rage triggered her vampire nature. Why are they so stupid, so hateful? Growling, Sanyu blurred forward, grabbed the red-haired man's head, her other hand gripping his shoulder, and sank her fangs into his neck. The onlooker's screams were a distant roar and drank. And I'll stop right there. Wow. That was wonderful. Thank you. <clears throat> I was Thanks, not expecting Steve. the Faye stuff. Oh, the Faye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to, I like to, um, to, to, you know, put different magical creatures in um, when I can. In, um, and I, I forgot to mention this is also a steampunk story, hence the, the you know, the coal box and the clothing and all. That yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can't wait to, you know, sink into, sink my teeth into, uh, like pardon. I mean, come on. I, I'm allowed <laughs> I love, the one. I love pun. it. Okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, I know I'm a dad. I can use dad jokes. Um, can't wait to, uh, finish, you know, all these stories. This is just awesome. They all sound wonderful. I mean, I mean, I'm not talking about my mom. I'm talking about everyone else's. They sound, I can't wait to get my hands on a copy and read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's so big that if if you have an intruder, you can just you can just hit them over the head with it, and uh, it will it will kill them instantly because the thing is like it's it's just such a massive book. It's a different kind of death by vampire than I was expecting. <laughs> right, right, right. It's death by vampire oh, anthology. That just doesn't happen that much. That's, True. Oh boy, I'm thinking about. I know my time is up, but I'm thinking about Sikorax's daughters, and I mm -hmm. think there are people on the yeah that and that book is really big. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm in that and book. I, was, I think Anokai is in that book as well. It's it's pretty mm -hmm. hefty. That's that's heavy, a yeah. <laughs> that book is a small dog. Uh, and yeah, later. Later. No. <laughs> Annihilator. Yeah, but it definitely worth oh, it. Oh, five hundred and sixty-six pages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a huge text. Psycharax's daughter. Oh wow. The Kindle edition doesn't weigh as much, though. That's 
That's, you're not going to be able to come <laughs> in with that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so thank you very much. Um, up next, we have Samantha Bryan. How's it going, Samantha? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for having me tonight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the best um, part has been getting to hear all the, everybody else's stories. <laughs> it's fun, right? Like reading podcasts are kind of the best, but they're also like, you know, a, a little bit hard to schedule everything. But I think we're doing, you know what? I want to, I want to applaud all of us, including myself, all of us. Yeah, yes. Because, because this is a, we are like almost exactly on schedule. This is amazing. I can, and I, and that is amazing for Retro Redoxbus because I swear to God, no matter what we try to do, we always go like an hour and a half past our, our end date. I mean, I know I'm speaking early because we're not done, but we're on <laughs> schedule pretty much. So I'm, I'm very impressed with all of us. Um, so Samantha, please tell us a little bit about your writing and what sort of genres you're into. Okay, so um, the books I have out there in the world that are just mine are uh, the Menopausal Superhero series. <laughs> nice. yeah. At this point, this is three novels, two novellas, and a collection of short stories. I'm writing the fourth novel right now for a release in 2021, and I'm contracted for a fifth novel in 2022. So um, like the title sounds, you know, it's not teenagers skipping algebra class to learn to deal with their superpowers but these are women with a bit of experience right. who um end up with superpowers and um you know they are they are the love of my life i love what uh writing these guys but um but i um the the bad part about writing in a series is not getting to write all of your other ideas though and so that's why I love writing for anthologies because I can write a short story and get to play in all kinds of genres and do all different kinds of things for one project that doesn't take me an entire year to write. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so your first, your first uh, menopausal superheroes book is going through the change. I mean, I, I mean, that's an amazing title. That That is a double entendre if there ever was one. That's amazing. So Good yeah, on you. I love the title. <laughs> so obviously these are um, uh, not necessarily comedies, but you have humor in them, right? Yes. I, I've described them as dramedies. Oh yeah. yeah perfect. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're very traditional superhero series in some senses, but they, um, but like a lot of comic books, there are comedic moments. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And um, in menopause is definitely not a subject to address without a sense of humor handy. That is a really good attitude. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> These are great. Um, so yeah, you are our only uh, superhero author tonight, I believe. Uh, so that is pretty cool. Um, I have, I have some friends in the genre as well. And, uh, and I, I have, uh, I, well, my, my buddy, uh, Remy flag writes a series called the children of Notre oh, yeah. Nostradamus. I'm in an organization with Remy. Uh, we're in nice. a group together called superhero fiction. Yes. Yeah. So he lives down the street from me like a block oh. away. Um, and, uh, he's a really good dude. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there was a conversation I had with him about, um, superheroes in novel form. Because it is sort of this disconnect where, you know, a lot of, a lot of people say, okay, obviously you think of comic books, you think superheroes, they're, they're interchangeable, but there is this, uh, you know, obviously big movement of, um, you know, no, these are novels. These are novels about superheroes. You don't, they don't need to be comics. And obviously we have comics of all flavors, but you do sort of have that, you know, stigma. It's like, okay, that's, 
they're synonymous. Um, I think that's what I love about superhero novels actually is as a, as a lifetime comic book reader, I always wanted more story than I got. Mm. Like I, I wanted to see the rest. I wanted to see not just what one character was thinking, but what was happening over there. And um, a superhero novel gives me the space to really explore a story, but it's still the same kind of story you might've found in a comic book. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, you're painting a picture too. You're just using a different kind of brush. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting thing. It's something that I think that I would have been, have to be proved wrong. I think if it didn't exist and I was like the person at the publisher and somebody said, I want to do this, I would have said, I don't know if people are going to want that. So I'm completely wrong completely 100% my instinct would have been wrong on that. And I think it's just awesome to see, you know, as I've learned through him and, uh, and all these different people I've met, um, it's just great. It's, 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 an, it's a legitimate genre. A lot of people are very successful in it and it's really cool. So that's really fun. We had a pretty, pretty diverse uh, group, of, group of writers just tonight. Just this is such a great cross-section of Slay. I mean, we had, you know, action and romance and, you know, all this, all this stuff, mystery. And now you're coming from a superhero background. So very, very cool. Um, being, uh, being a superhero uh, author, uh, deadly or dateable? I don't think, like, <laughs> your background doesn't inform this. So I have no idea what you're going to choose. <laughs> Well, I guess it depends on if I'm writing them or um, if I'm reading and watching them. Reading and watching. So for reading and watching, I, I like a mix. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorites is Spike, who is both. Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yep. right? He's deadly in turns and he's also very romantic. Um, but I think uh, a lot of my favorites are, lean more towards the deadly. Um, so... A mixture leaning towards deadly. Spike is a great example of uh, of both. He really is. I mean, he's definitely, uh, you know, I mean, he's obviously one of the most popular characters from Buffy and rightfully so. Um, so, yeah, I guess everybody's, you know, most people tonight are saying yes. So I think you got, I think we got another yes, both. Yeah, the thing is I like vampires. I'm interested in all kinds of vampire stories. So I'm open. <laughs> Very cool. So tell us a little bit about your story in Slay. Okay, so my story in Slay is called His Destroyer, and it's set in Egypt during the time of the Ten Plagues. Oh, yes. So uh, Nicole actually was talking to me about this before you guys all showed up, and uh, that is a hell of a concept. Yeah, That's I am. Um, really interesting concept. Well, when I was talking to other people about the story, I was like, the, the God I was raised with is a scary dude. Um, and so, um, you know, it's probably sounds a bit sacrilegious to stay, to say, but a lot of the stories I was raised on that were the religious stories of my life were to some degree, like horror stories, they, they scare you. And, um, you know, that there's nothing more scary than an all powerful deity. So that's, you know, kind of where I started from and. And another thing for me is um, I'm a mother and a school teacher. Um, and so children are a huge part of my life. And anything that is about child endangerment always gets me. Mm. And so in the 10 plagues of Egypt, that 10th plague where we went around and killed the firstborn, firstborn son yeah. of every Egyptian family, mm-hmm. that, that got me when I was a child and still gets me now as a, as a mom and a teacher. Right. 
Yeah. Like I'll, I'll take the locusts. I'll take the frogs. Uh, that's fine. Uh, okay. The river had a, had a rough, uh, had a rough year, but, uh, it's a little bit red, but Hey, you know, uh, leave yeah. my firstborn kid alone. Killing the children for the sins of the fathers. That's something. Please. Okay. Whenever you're ready. When Dien, when Dieni Hatiri closed her eyes on the pain of the beating she had earned by birthing a girl child again, she never expected to open them. Her end had come, and she fell into darkness, praying that the daughter she had born would be allowed to live, that her life might offer a greater chance at happiness, or that God might welcome them both in peace. When she woke, she was wrapped for burial. Thin cloth bound her, obscuring her vision. No one sat with her body, so when she freed herself from the rough matting, no one witnessed her rise to her feet or saw her walk out into the darkness, burial cloth dangling from her like a tattered cape. In the abandoned streets, evidence of great destruction spread. Burnt-out hulls of dwellings crawled with locusts, and broken pots littered the streets. Dieni Hatiri's eyes widened with dismay. What had happened here? Had the city been attacked? Maybe it was good that she'd been mistaken for dead. It might have saved her life. The city was so altered that she was no longer sure which direction would lead to her home, so she made her way toward the river instead. Though the sky was moonless and devoid of stars, she had little trouble making her way. As if the ground were illuminated, each stone and pit of the pathway stood out clearly, and she made her way without stumbling. The night air cooled and soothed her skin. As she walked down the hill to the river, she noticed how good she felt, strong, full of energy. Though her last memory was of a beating from the overseer of the women's house, her body moved easily and freely without stiffness or pain. Despite her near nudity, she was not cold. Her only physical discomfort was a hollow, hungry feeling. She worried more for her daughter, confused about what had happened to her. At the bottom of the long hill that led to the great Nile River, she could see a pillar of light, white and swirling, long enough that it seemed to stretch from the earth to the heavens and perhaps beyond. Something about it filled her with joy and fear at the same time, and she hurried toward the terrible glory, even while part of her trembled to think what she might find when she arrived. Her bare feet padded against the ground soundlessly, the rough stone barely noticeable. She knew the distance to be great. She had struggled down the hill laden with burdens often enough. But tonight the journey slipped by as quickly as a dance. And what seemed only a moment, she arrived at the gently lapping bank of the river. The column of light still shone. Up close it flickered as though made of flame, but a white flame that offered no heat. Blue tendrils spiraled within. Though the column seemed to rise from the dark waters, it was not reflected in their depths. Dieni Hatiri bent and dipped her fingers into the warm water and raised them to her face to cleanse the street dust from her skin. When she uncovered her face, the column of light burned mere inches from her. She fell back onto her bottom, grunting in surprise. A voice spoke, an impossible voice that was both a battle cry and a soothing whisper, both male and female, both in the air and vibrating within her own chest. My destroyer it said. Dieni Hatiri shivered, though she was unaffected by any chill. Laying her hand upon her heart, she noticed that she could not feel it beating. 
She scuttled like a crab, backing away from the light, her face wet with tears she had not realized she was crying. Somewhere within, she understood, though her mind still rebelled against the idea. A warmth bloomed in her chest, and Diani Hatiri, who had risen to her knees, collapsed against the earth, pinned there by overwhelming grief. She heard no more words, but the voice spoke directly to her heart, filling her with sad duty. She understood. All the attempts to help Pharaoh understand, all the chances he had been given to do what was right, all these had failed, and the worst of the punishments would now have to be dealt. She was to be the instrument. And that's where I'll stop. Oh, wow. That was, uh, that was great. I want to hear more. <laughs> Good. That's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the interesting things for me about that story, as I was told it as a child, is that you don't really get any details about how exactly the children were killed. What did the destroyer do other than kill them? So mm. it's, it was wide open to, for me to decide that maybe God had a vampire. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very different. Very cool. All right. Well, um, I believe it is time for our uh, our surprise guest tonight, Miss Penelope Flynn. Yes. <laughs> so you have your uh, so welcome. First of all, thank you. Um, you have your own podcast, correct? Yes, I do. Mine is Saturday nights. It's called Discussions from the Otherhood. And it basically discusses science fiction, fantasy, horror, all of the media of those particular genres of spec thick through the prism or the filter of people of color, specifically, you know, black people. Hmm. And uh, we've been doing it for a little while. It's myself, uh, my crew, Otto, Cranston, uh, James Goodridge. They're all writers and critics. And uh, I know Belle Jean joined us uh, this last week and yeah. this Saturday and did her reading. And it was really, really wonderful and joined us for our discussion. And so basically it is a discussion-based podcast about whatever happens to be going on most recently in, you know, entertainment news or, you know, what we've seen on, on television or what we've seen in the films and we just discuss any and everything. So it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's really, so how many, how many years have you, have you been doing it for, for more than a year? Four or five years, I guess. Four or five years. My goodness. That's a lot. That is amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. You know, a lot of podcasts, yeah. a lot of podcasts don't get past episode 10. That's a, that's like a stat. Like yeah. I've, well, for I, us, you know, someone it's told me that. Fun. It's so fun it because, you know, we're all working people. And this is, you know, you get to that certain age, we're not going to clubs and stuff. So, you know, to get online <laughs> on a Saturday night, you know, that is our party. Oh my God. Just, just finding the energy to sit down in a chair and talk. I mean, that's hard enough. Like going to a club. Because <laughs> old. Okay. We super old. All right. <laughs> and glad for every day. day. <laughs> I, mean, I just turned 41. I'm exhausted every day at five. What do I, I don't know. Um, Child. <laughs> um, so you, um, from what I gather, you are a writer of the sexier side of things. Yes. I, I write erotica. 
I write, you know, um, of course, science fiction, um, mm-hmm. fantasy, and horror. I love all of it. They mixed up into this, this lovely melange, you know, of, of, of reading, you know, thrill. And because uh, that's the way I like, I, that's what I like to read. So that's what I write. Also, um, excellent use people, of melange. Yes. <laughs> most people, I think, you know, start out like writing novels. You know, I started really young. I mean, as a kid, I wrote. But then, you know, when your parents make the determination that you actually could go somewhere, you're not allowed to think about something creative as um, a profession. No, you go into the actual professions, which is what I did. And my alter ego was an attorney. Hmm. So that's what I did, you know, for a long time. And I kind of wrote here and there. I actually started writing screenplays. I took, you know, screenwriting and I wrote screenplays at first. And, um, and I remember I, I went for screenplays. And I did like a little comic book rendition of one of my screenplays. And um, I, I guess I kind of debuted it. And one of the groups that I was with, uh, tells, let, let me date myself. It was a Yahoo group. Mm-hmm. And, and I sent it out and they said, oh, this is really great. You know, it would really do well if you had a white woman in the lead role. Oh, God. And I said, oh, my gosh. okay, so I said maybe I should um, novelize it. Yeah. So that's when I started novelizing. So when um, we have Samantha saying that her book is a superhero book, novel is kind of what mine are like what i want to call my magnum opus which is the uh, chronicles of renfields is that it's um it's almost very comic booky i guess graphic novelly i guess i have to say the grown-up word hmm. and um i mean I comic enjoy- books aren't a dirty word comic books are great i mean i've read comic books i mean since i was a child i remember the first one that I remember, um, it is a 1969 uh, version. It's a Superboy comic book where Superboy goes blind. And okay. I remember my dad, I think, bought that for me. I think I was like six, five, five, five. I've been reading since I was three, which is why I'm in, I am blind now. So <laughs> I suggest to you all, don't ever have to start reading early. It's really not good for them. Especially yeah. things like small print comic books. So my kids did not read until they were five. I never let them read that early. Um, but that thing, all my life, that was all part of my growing up, part of you know my mind makeup. And uh, eventually, like I said, when I started wanting to write screenplays, I did that. And then I decided to novelize in order to kind of put in stone what it is that my characters were and are and it's a little bit more difficult i think to develop them plus i can't draw and when i first started to do my screenplays when i had i mean do my comic book when i had money i could hire um an an artist artists are very expensive okay (laughs) and then i said i can't afford this i have this house full of children you know how am i going to use all my money buying of artists and my artist was fantastic but i can't afford this so what I did is I started doing DAS 3D and started learning how to do the three-dimensional art with DAS. And then I wow. moved over and now I added iClone and Unreal. The goal, of course, is which to move into, and I started doing animation. 
and my goal is to actually do my own animated mini featurettes of the characters and stuff that I create. Yeah. And um, like I was saying the other night, we were talking and saying, I don't consider myself an author. I consider myself a storyteller. Mm. And whatever means, method it is that I can figure out to tell the story, I will. Audiobook, um, enhanced ebooks, novels, graphic novels, whatever it is. I think, you know, once we identify ourselves as storytellers, then we broaden however it is that we are able to reach any audience that is out there looking for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really, really interesting that you, you just taught yourself, you, you know, at this point you, you said, I'm going to, I'm going to teach myself 3d. Um, so I'm looking at a book <clears throat> which is um, not available yet, but it's called blurred erotica, sweet, sexy, and special dark. Have you done the cover for this? Yes. Okay. Cause that's, that looked to me like a 3d uh, sort yes. of uh, picture. And you have this, uh, this beautiful black woman who is uh, definitely caught in the throes of uh, of something. <laughs> I know you said something. And we got some uh, and we got some chocolates, uh, some chocolates there yeah. to uh, just in case you know. Special dark didn't didn't have enough entendre. There's more. Yes. There's and one I more know. entendre. There's more. Yeah. yeah. Well, very, very cool. has a story in the book. I have a story in the book. I published that book because I think there's a it's very important at this juncture which we consider kind of a renaissance for um, especially you know the African American women especially mm-hmm. the general African Americans to kind of start to embracing our own sexuality and um, not be so um, eroticized or exoticized which has been the case for a very long time so mm-hmm. I take that I mean this which is why it took me a while also to write what I write because you know I have family you know and I'm, I'm like Valjean come from like Catholic backgrounds. And so when you start writing erotica and your family's looking like you, what in the world are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so we we kind of, you know, put that into my story. I think it's a part of being an adult. I do not write YA. I don't write anything except adult targeted Mm. um, fiction. Mm. Nice. So, so my follow-up question uh, which everybody has already answered is a very obvious answer, I believe. Vampire flavor, deadly or dateable? Mitchell from Being Human, and that answers it all. He is absolutely deadly. He is the most wonderful vampire character in my mind ever created. He, um, beautiful man, played by Aiden Turner, and he just embodied. That I don't. Did you ever watch Being Human, the BBC version? I watched. I didn't watch the BBC version. Uh, the, so I saw the, I saw the American. It's garbage. You have to watch the BBC version. Okay. It is the best television, probably one of the oh. best television shows ever written. Oh, this guy's the sexy dwarf. This is the dwarf everybody had the hots for in The Hobbit. This guy. Yes, it is. that would be in this agent. It's like Killy or Philly, yes. one but of those of two. Course, yes, but in being human, he was, you know, regular sized. I mean, he's 5'10". He That's fine. Fantastic. He was fantastic. I mean, you figure this story of three um, friends living together, a ghost, a vampire, and a werewolf, trying to be human. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful writing, beautiful stories, 
I mean, talk about um, allegorical analogs, you know, going through about what these things mean. What does it mean to be a ghost? What does it mean to be a vampire? Basically, someone with an addiction that they cannot kick, you know, no yeah. matter how hard they try. And it's just beautifully done. But that character, that Aiden Turner on the screen, that is quintessential vampire, you know, sexy, beautiful, um, just incredibly soulful and dangerous as hell. Gotcha. Um I did. I did like the American version for what I, you know, what I saw. I mean, I, I have no doubt the original is much better. But the, um, the, the ghost stuff surprised me. Uh, even mm-hmm. like some of the, some of the the things they make you think about in the, in that show. It's yes. like, oh yeah, there's there's this side of it that you know you don't really. Yes. Uh, but like yeah, they, they, uh, check out the BBC out version. That. It will change your life. Change I mean, my life. My goodness. It will change your life. The BBC just knows how to do it. They do. It's incredible. I do. I do enjoy some BBC. Yes, that is for sure. Um, all right, so everybody's got to go see Being Human, the BBC version. That's everybody's yes. homework. Uh, we're going to report here back on uh, next week on uh, Retro Octopus. Uh, just kidding. Um, so let's <laughs> let's dive into your story. Um, please tell us a little bit about it and uh, start whenever you're ready. My story is called Unfleamed, and it is part of my universe. I started writing a while back and then novelized which is the Chronicles of Renfields. Uh, the first book in the Chronicles of Renfields was last November. It was regarding Koyescu, who is a revenant, who is a vampire. And it talks about you know, his life, his second chance life. Um, the story that comes out next is the end of this, uh, end of October, which is the first book of Ramona. Ramona is actually the main character of Renfields. I did not start with her story. I started with the background story of Koyescu to kind of get people into what this is. Regarding Koyescu is much more erotic than the first book of Ramona. Um, but this story is a story I started way long ago. It is about how it is that we get to this issue of Renfields. Um, okay. And it is um, historical reference dovetailing with uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Very um, cool. I love that. I love, I've always been fascinated with Renfield and he's such a mysterious character. There's so much we don't know about him. Um, yes. That is amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> when Yanara opened her eyes, she was covered by a large warm blanket that billowed over the bed, which was itself nearly half the size of the room containing it. Again, she smelled the mail that she had encountered in the alley. He wasn't visible, but he was nearby. Hello, she called out as she curled up to sitting, taking note that the bodice of her tailored sky blue cotton and lace dress was speckled with blood, but her face and hands had been washed. She shuddered. The thought of being crimped while she was unconscious unsettled her, but she had no time for squeamishness. You, from the alley, where are we? Her companion strolled into the room wearing white shirt sleeves, black trousers, held up by black suspenders and a smile. It lit up his entire face. He carried a small tray with two hot cups of tea along with lemon, honey, cream, and biscuits. You'll excuse me. Prior to this, I have 
never had occasion to entertain such a distinguished guest, he said as he placed the tray on the bedside table, then stepped away. Yonara nodded and smiled while taking stock of him and her surroundings. The apartment was not large, but neither was it small. In the area beyond the bedroom, she viewed a maintained space lined with shelves holding rows of books and collectibles. The furnishings were tasteful and suited to the space, just as he was. He was not tall, at least not as tall as she or her Sebastian, yet he was taller than her with a medium build. His hair was just beginning to gray. He wore spectacles, and the term that came to mind when she finally decided upon one was bookish. I hope you don't mind, he continued. I added honey and cream. That is the way you take your tea, yes? Yes, she replied, scrutinizing him. I provided biscuits to aid in digestion. It is known that you resist consuming paradoxin blood. I presume it must inhibit one or more of your abilities, possibly cutting off your mind speak. Otherwise, you probably would have called your driver to retrieve you. You must have been in a terrible feral state to hunt in Whitechapel, he prattled on. She held her posture steady, studying the man as he moved closer, then nodded and said, Yes, paradox in blood, especially that which has been adulterated with pollutants, does inhibit my abilities. She sat up taller in the bed, smoothing the wide, coarse braid that ran down her back and past her hips, noting, You seem to know quite a bit about me. Then she signed the salutation, known to all of the hybridized bloodline, and she smiled, displaying her entire pearly array, teeth, fangs, and flings, all fully engaged. The male regarded her with hesitancy, then bowed low. Yonara shifted uneasily beneath the comforter, filled with the tension of a coiled snake. Her brow wrinkled as she inhaled in his general direction, then demanded, Who are you? He hesitated. Madame Stone Tejan Forza, I am, um, we are of the same hybrid lineage. Yonara's face twisted into a frown and her words rolled out in an offensive growl. If this is true, then why is it that you fail to formally address me? In your haberdashery, why do you not display your house colors? And why are you hiding your fleens? There, there is an explanation, he ventured a weak smile, exhibiting neither faint fleen nor fang. Yonara bolted from the bed and was on the stranger before he exhaled his next breath. Though standing no taller than five feet four inches, Yonara's skill as a fighter, as a killer, was unparalleled. Speed and precision were her weapons, and she wielded them with mortal accuracy. Her talons had sprung into place the moment she bounded onto the man's chest and sent him sprawling to the hardwood floor. His face reddened as he coughed and squirmed to no avail as her claws tightened around his neck. I won't ask again. Who are you? Why have you been following me? The male struggled for only a few seconds more before raising his hands to surrender. Yonara loosened her grip and retracted her claws, but did not relinquish her perch on his chest. I, I am Striga. How Striga? He cried hoarsely. Yonara's eyes narrowed to slits so black they appeared hollow, saying, So, how Striga is sending spies to follow me? No, no, I mean, I don't know. I have not been acting on behalf of how Striga. Who then, she tightened her grip, is it one of the other houses, the Kiangxi, the Impundulu, 
Who is it and what are they planning? Is Sebastian in danger? Are my children in peril? Eminent, most honorable prefect, I have sought you out on my own, he spluttered. She shook him in a violent rage and crouched over him menacing. Who are you to seek me out? You claim to be Hausstriga. You claim to be my bloodline, but there's no indication of that. You refer to me as prefect, but show no allegiance. I've had enough of this. Show yourself, she seethed. Show yourself right now or pay with your blood. Have mercy, have mercy, he shielded his face. I, I, fine, but I bear neither fleems nor fangs. Yanara released the man as if he had suddenly transformed into hot coals. She stumbled back and away from where he lay, cowering on the floor. How can that be? You are certainly of the hybrid line. I've caught your scent several times this past few weeks. Yes, yes I am, but... Yanara recoiled, gagging to suppress an involuntary gasp. You've been castrated. No, no, honorable prefect. I have committed no crime, nor any obscenity. I am not unclean. I have not been castrated. Well, was all she could manage to utter, and she continued her backward motion, taking small steps away until the large bed impeded her retreat. Don't worry, he said as he stumbled up to his feet. I'm not contagious. It was not a disease. It was a defect from birth. I was born without the means. Oh, of course. Yanara said through the strained half-smile pasted across her face. Please, he said, indicating toward the room behind him. If you would prefer, we can continue our discussion in the parlor. The male retrieved the tray containing the tea as Yanara made her way into the adjoining living area. As she observed from the bedroom, the room was filled with books and trinkets. The wood paneling ran from floor to ceiling and the hardwood floors were only intermittently interrupted with the well-thought-out positioning of small occasional rugs. However, no more than five steps into the room, she noted that the room was oddly partitioned, not at all like she first perceived. There was an unusual turn into an alcove that couldn't possibly have been in the original plans. Yes, there to the right is the parlor. He followed close by, and then sat the tray on the cocktail table after directing Yanara to sit wherever she chose. Once Yanara was seated, he took a position across from her. She nodded, her expression guarded. So you are... Yes, Eminent, I am a eunuch. Yanara squirmed and cleared her throat. I was about to say unfleamed, but if you prefer you, No one would prefer eunuch, he snapped, but then softened his tone. You must understand my dilemma. Being unfleamed, as you refer to it, is an insuperable handicap in Hofstriga. I am aware of their policy, she responded. In your condition, any path to advancement would be very narrow indeed. Narrow? You mean non-existent? There is no path with regard to family or child-rearing, not with regard to ascension to the hierarchy. I am even unfit to be considered as a proper mate in a formal commitment circle. Not even as an anculus? She asked, taking a biscuit. Prefect. Who would take into their, their marital circle an individual that is incapable of performing siphon? One who cannot siphon cannot produce seed, nor carry a child to term. Who would want an individual who could not even teach a child of the commitment circle proper technique for the use of their fangs or fleas? Yes, I might be an anculus, a household manager somewhere, but in my condition, never in Hofstriga.
Yanara nodded. I see. Eminent, he added. I have sought you out because House Ekimu has a history of flexibility of which I was hoping to avail myself. In what manner? She ate another biscuit, grateful that they soothed the digestion of the paradox in blood. When you were regional prefect of the districts by which the revenants subdivided the paradox, yours was the most profitable. They value that. Even though your ankylus, Sebastian Forza, is a thorn in their sides, they support you. You have brought great favor on House Ekimu. For this reason, you have been transferred to London. Apparently, the Revenant Council was aware that once they announced your appointment as the new prefect for Positas, that Paris, your home, which is also a house street of stronghold, will become a very dangerous place for you. Presuming this is true, what is it you want from me? Once you are named Prefect Propositus, you will be the most powerful individual in our clan. If you were to vouch for me, I would no longer be inhibited in my quest for the things others hold dear and that I am restricted from now. You are very astute and know quite a bit, brother, she asked, waiting for his name. I am called R.M., he said. R.M.? He meant your family name. Prefect, he replied, dropping his head. I am not permitted to use my family name. I am a mark of shame to them, a blot. I am not even permitted to fly House Striga's colors. Then how do you negotiate the world of our bloodline with no name? House Striga only permits my parents to restrict the use of my family name, not the name of our clan. In that, I am still permitted to claim membership. This, at least, is my birthright. May I ask, then, how you survive with no familial support? I am sometimes a liaison with the paradoxical world. I am a solicitor. Due to my birth condition, I am uniquely suited to interact with them in business matters. Of course, I could be beneficial. You certainly have a knack for aggregating information. She nodded and took another sip of her tea. The clock chimed, and both Yanara and Aryam glanced toward the mantel. I've been away for quite a while. My staff will begin to worry, she said. Arnim stood, straightening his clothes. If your mind speak is still disabled, and you are unable to link with your driver, I will gladly walk to the corner and call you a cab. No, I'm fine. She waved him back to his seat. The biscuits have worked wonders. I should be able to link with my staff within the hour. While we wait, I am curious as to what you are proposing in return for my vouchsafe. If you take me into your confidence, I can tell you what House Striga may be planning. Is that a fact? She asked, impressed. What is it that you know? Arnim took a deep breath and steadied himself before saying, despite their cordiality and protest to the contrary, House Striga will not cede power to House Ekimu. Yanara bit her lip and knitted her brow. So it is true then. I presume that this was their reason for sending Sebastian to Morocco to leave me vulnerable. I never thought House Striga had the means, not here in London. House Striga is formidable, Prefect. We have many ties throughout the paradox. I recall the last time we were challenged, our house's enemies met unfortunate ends, but you in particular have raised their ire, most notably from our revenants. How so? She took a sip from her cup. Our lives are to be dedicated to the care and maintenance of the revenants. True, there has been some brutality, some injuries, but that is to be expected. He raised his cup, particular sip. It is the only reason that they created us. Pardon, but I was created from the deep love between my parents. On either side of my hybridized lineage, patrilineal and matrilineal, 
There have only been hybrids for over three millennia, not one revenant. Certainly through them, we have gained supernatural abilities which we have utilized for our and their benefit. Our clan owes much to the revenants. We do not owe them our dignity nor our lives. Most prefects have said these same words. However, you are the first to act upon them, he sipped. No other prefect has ever had the temerity to deny services to a revenant. You have denied several. We do not ask for much, only to be treated with respect when we manage their households and business interests. By and large, most revenants act within the prescribed guidelines. Only a handful have been excommunicated. That is a harsh sentence, he said. And maiming and murdering our people is not harsh. It is, but there are some, especially in House Striga, that have taken profound offense who believe we should act more humbly. Am I supposed to care that these scoundrels are offended? They should all be more concerned that we are not offended. We manage every facet of their lives. They are the ones who should act with more humility. He sighed and rubbed his tongues, then whispered to himself, I don't even know why I bothered with someone who apparently has a death wish, whose days are numbered. Excuse me, what did you say? Inara glared across the table. I, I said nothing most eminent. No, you said my days were numbered. What are you not telling me? Inara rose and strolled to where R.M. sat. He dropped his head, holding the teacup rattling in his trembling hands. Look at me, she said. I, I dare not, eminence. She leaned in, reached under his chin, and tipped his head upward until his gaze met hers. His eyes grew large and limpid as she commanded, just tell me. Her eyes were hypnotic, welcoming, conveying love and acceptance. No individual as lonely and unloved as he had any chance of resistance. His voice was hushed as he spoke, as one infatuated. How Striga is sending Prime to London. Nice. I have two thoughts. Mm-hmm. One is you're, you're an eroticist, like primarily, and reading that, I would never know that. You didn't let any of that kind of come in here. You're just like, yeah, no, I, I can do other stuff. Like, what, you think I can only do one thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. And, uh, and also, wow, that was a lot of world building and a lot of conversation, uh, which I find to be, I don't know how you feel about this. I find conversations, long conversations to be the hardest thing to write. Um, because you want like it to have a certain flow. You want it to make sense. You want it to be natural, all these things. But you also have these like boxes you're ticking off as you go that you want certain things to be revealed in certain orders and, and all this stuff. And that whole thing was just one massive conversation. So as I'm listening to it, I'm just going, Oh my God, (laughs) this must've been hard to write. I don't know if, if such things are easier for you than they are for me, but that, um, those are, those are my comments. <laughs> so good stuff. In all honesty, when I'm writing, I really do write it as a screenplay in my head. Yeah. And when I am recalling it and writing it, even in a novelization, it's still being written as a screenplay. You know, describe the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, say what it is that their bodies are doing. And then dialogue. Yeah. It really is just a screenplay. It's just as easy as that. See? Yes. 
super easy. <laughs> it's super easy, barely an inconvenience. Um, awesome stuff. So uh, I guess we have, uh, we've kept, we, we, we've done it. We, we've gotten through everybody and we had one extra reader, which is amazing. And we've also, I want to give a shout out to Sherry Renee Thomas, who's been hanging out and uh, is, is also a, a, an author for Slay. And she's been hanging out with us, uh, just kind of listening and stuff. So um, thanks for hanging out, Sherry. And uh, I have to say also, uh, you have uh, maybe the best hair I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I agree. Um, I mean, I'm just saying, like maybe, maybe the best hair I've ever seen. Um, but thank you to everybody. So what I want to do is... Uh, I want everybody to get a chance, one last chance to promo anything uh, that they want to promo, anything at all, uh, podcast books, anything at all. Uh, we're all creators of, of multiple, uh, you know, medias, I think at, at this point, a lot of us are. Um, so let's, let's just start at the beginning. Uh, Nicole, I believe you're unmuted. Yes. Yes. So I thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate you allowing um, our, some of our slate authors to come in here and share their stories and the origins of their stories and to kind of promote and kind of give people a sneak peek into what um, our volume of uh, vampire noir stories contain. I do yeah. appreciate that a lot. Um, as for me, you can always check me out on Twitter or Facebook under Nicole Givens Kurtz and um, my website is NicoleGivensKurtz.net and if you like um, fantasy stories with mystery and whodunits that are set in strange worlds, definitely give me a, definitely give me a look through and check me out. Awesome. And uh, you're, you're most welcome. And everybody can send me links and I'll put them in the show notes. Just saying. Uh, Jessica Cage. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here hanging out listening. Um, but thank you for having me again. Um, for anyone who wants to connect, I am J Cage author on all platforms. I'm everywhere on the socials. Um, and you can also reach me at jessicacage.com. Um, I write characters of color in fantasy, so I predominantly focus on putting um, POC characters at the forefront. So if you're looking for that, uh, look me up. <laughs> nice. Uh, Kai Leaks. Um, I am, as you already heard, Kai Leaks. I am a urban fantasy, dark fantasy, horror, romance romance writers, sci-fi, and all that. You can find me at www.kyleeks.com. I'm also on the majority of the social networking lovely sites. <laughs> um, and my main popular book is Vampires. That's the Stand Eaters. Those are my babies, um, my demons, my witches, my all of that. So if you want Black speculative fiction, Black fantasy, Black romance and horror to look me up, um, and I'm on Amazon. If you do want to send in your books, you may have to go to Barnes and Noble, but look at Amazon too. Thank you. Nice, Miss Valjean Jeffers. I, I, you, the the last connection was the connection for us. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I typed in the wrong site. I just see that I did that. I'm going to have to fix that. Ignore the last site I typed. There's something wrong with it. I'm just, <laughs> I'll, I'll type it again. <laughs> I don't where, know what I did. Where should they uh, go? Yeah, the first one is okay. Um, I write um, speculative fiction, horror, fantasy. Um, 
my characters I write with diverse, uh, diverse cast of characters, but um, uh, most of my characters are probably, um, well, they are, you know, people of color, uh, mm-hmm. black folks, Native American folks, you know, Asian folks. So, um, and uh, Mona, Paral- Mona Livelong Paranormal Detective is also a mystery. I forgot to mention that. But anyway, um, if you want to find me, if you like, um, my stories involve uh, vampires, werewolves, demons, that kind of stuff. Not your traditional kind. I don't do the crosses and the um, the howling at the moon and all that kind of foolishness. I can't. I can't get down like that. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, if you want to find me, I'm at www.thejeffersandqbuild.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you didn't get kicked off again. Like, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got kicked off a lot. A lot. Okay, Uh, so, um, yeah, that's my main site. I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Valjean, which is Valjean uh, um, on Twitter. Um, Valjean Jeffers, I think, on Facebook. So, nice. Excellent. And Samantha Bryant, do you have anything coming out? Um. Well, besides this anthology, I'll be in another anthology from Chrome Girls Press in October called Stories We Tell at Midnight. Um, And uh, and then I'm working on um, my next novel, which will come out in 2021. I don't know exactly what date yet. But um, I'm the second most famous Samantha Bryant, I think. If you just look up Samantha Bryant, you're going to find an actress who's married to Tom Hanks' son, Colin. Ah, you're but not if you that type one. in Samantha Bryant author, then you find me. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and so, you know, my website is very creatively named samanthabryant.com. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, my, and my most common handle on all the social medias is Samantha B. Writer. Just my first name, Samantha, the letter B, and the word writer. Samantha, not Tom Hanks's uh, daughter in law.com. No, although I'm sure I could rock a, you know, a gown given a chance. Oh, I, I mean, I have no doubt. I mean, I have no doubt. Um, all right. Well, I think we've done it. So thanks to all our amazing guests this week, Nicole Smith, Jessica Cage, Kyleeks, Valjean Jeffers, and Samantha Bryant. You guys are amazing. I, I really hope you had a good time. Uh, I, I, I had a great time. Uh, I think we got some awesome stories out there in the world. And I, uh, I uh, just really appreciate you guys coming on. So thank, thank you. you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. With that said, I think uh, I will say good night to everybody and I hope everybody has a great day or night or whatever the heck time of the day they're listening to this. <laughs> and uh, remember to pick up Slay when it comes out. Uh, when, did, when is the release date of Slay, Nicole? October 13th. October 13th. And it is available right now for pre-order. Um, but that's just the Kindle, right? And yes. uh, we're, we're going to have, this is the question I keep getting. See, people people say, oh, oh, it's, it's only on Kindle. And I say, it, oh, well. You'll have a paperback and a hardcover edition as well. Right. So everybody, just so you know, if you go on Amazon, you'll find Slay. And uh, if you're interested in the paperback or a hardcover, they are coming. So uh, uh, it's up to you. But find us. We are out there. And uh, that's about all I got to say about that. I, I was trying to think of some cheesy vampire thing to say at the end, like "don't suck," but I'll just, I'll just, I'll just say good night. <laughs> <laughs> good night.
<laughs> good, so night. Okay, good, good night. Okay, good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>just so frustrating when technology doesn't play ball like come on technology (laughs) yes we live in the future but sometimes the future functions a lot like the far past that's very true that's very true and where are my damn where are my damn hoverboards back to the future too god damn it myself i'm glad not to have a hoverboard i am very clumsy (laughs) (laughs) i want the teleportation rings Oh, teleportation, man. If you know, if not for the fly, I would have no reservations at all. Oh, it's true. <laughs> Every other teleportation thing in sci-fi has been perfectly seamless, no problem. But then the, the fly comes along, and you're like, "Shit, that sounds plausible." <laughs> That's true.